Gigapod is a podcast where we interview companies building exciting and economically sustainable business models in the gig, circular, and sharing economies. Make sure to subscribe and to find out more, go to gigapay.co forward slash gigapod. Welcome to Gigapod. Today I am joined by Malen Grandlund, who is the CEO and co founder at Dunn. How are you, Malin? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Nice to be here. How are you? I'm good as well. So fantastic to have you here with us. I really just want to learn everything about you and about Dan today, well, as much as we can fit into an episode. So why don't we just kick it off and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. So you have recently started as an entrepreneur. Tell us about that journey. Sure. Yeah, first of all, I have a background working in a lot of different startups, so I've been working two years in Melbourne at different startups and past eight years in Stockholm. So I've been part of one SaaS platform and one gig platform as an early stage employee and kind of joined the journey when we've been taking a lot of funding and growing the team from two, three people to 70-ish people. So those have been really good like startup schools for me, I guess, and also inspired me a lot to that I really want to start my own business and I've been thinking for a long time about starting my own company but haven't really found that you know perfect idea worth quitting my job for Um, and then Antler contacted me and Antler for those of you don't know is global VC generator that invests in individuals rather than investing in ideas so I joined Antler and by Antler I got opportunity to explore different ideas, eventually started done together with my co-founder, Alec Ostrom. Cool. And how did you guys meet each other? So you, you met at Antler. Was it sort of like you decided across the room or was it like some other <laughs> way that you, you guys kind of clicked? Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a special setup when you hear about it the first time. So from about 1,500 applications, Antler takes in 70 people. So you are basically 70 people in the room where you tried to find someone to start a company with, which is a really big step. So during two, three months, we did a lot of exercises, everything from looking at like, what are your values? Why do you want to start a company? What type of company do you want to start? And did a lot of cases where you kind of stress test how to work together. And we noticed really early both that we work well together and it clicks on a personal level, but also that we had the same values on why we wanted to start a company. So both of us wanted to start something within a marketplace. And I had a lot of experience from building and scaling marketplaces. And Alec is a really good app developer. So that made sense. And at the same time, we both wanted to, like yeah, one of our top priorities, why we wanted to start a company was to be able to change an industry and to build something global and scalable. So it aligned both on how we work together, but also what type of business we, we wanted to start. So that was a really good match. Mm, fantastic. And I guess you're a little bit over the honeymoon period now. It's one year, just over one year, so 15 months since you guys have been working together. Is it still how you expected it to be with your co-founder? Yeah. I mean, I hope we're over the honeymoon period now that this is how it will be. Mm. But uh, it definitely is. I think we got to know each other much much quicker than you would do otherwise thanks to Antler because we were kind of forced to take all the difficult questions 
from the beginning. Antle pushed you to to talk through everything from, you know, how much salary do you need to take the upcoming year? Who should have what role? And yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Done? So how did you guys come up with the idea? Yeah. So like I mentioned, both of us really wanted to start Marketplace. Mm -hmm. And what we did basically during Antle was that we took a few days, two, three days per idea that we wanted to explore. So we thought about, okay, what type of service industries really frustrates us as consumers? So home improvement industry was one of the areas. And we also compared to, for example, finding beauty services or finding lawyers. And the more we dug into the home improvement industry, we saw that it was really big problems there that haven't, hasn't been solved yet. So first, if you look at the consumer side, I think a lot of people can relate that it is really hard to, to find a good home improvement professional for your home. You don't know as a consumer what type of certificates the professionals should have, what the price range should be. And it's very non-modern way to, to find a professional today when you have to call around to, to people to, to find a good professional. And on the other side, we saw that the home improvement professionals were really frustrated as well. So they, it's frustrating for them when a consumer don't know what, what the prices should be or how the work should be done why certain things takes a lot of time and other things don't take a lot of time at the same time as they're not famous for being really good at admin mm. uh, so the whole process for them when working with private consumers with going out for home visits sending a quotation handling all the communication invoicing super frustrating for the companies as well so mm. it was a bit of a mismatch there in, in both knowledge and processes and communication and what we also saw in the market is that the home improvement industry is the most complained about industry of all service industries in Sweden so it, about 10% of all the complaints that comes into the Swedish consumer agency is towards home improvement industry mm -hmm. so clearly it was a big issue here and we started to look at the rest of Europe and we saw that it was the same thing there. US has come a little bit further with more ideas around how to solve this but in Europe it was like an open goal and like we felt that this was like the last industry that not has been disrupted yet that mm. we could do something about using the technology we know about and smart solutions from other industries that can be applied to mm. the home improvement industry. That's great and so, so tell us practically how does how does done work so you have an app do you download the app or what is how does that from an end user perspective how do you start using done yeah that's correct you download the app so you can download it both on app store or google play and you book fixed price for smaller jobs so say you want to change a tap or electricity power outlet or something you click and book a fixed price but for larger renovations if you want for example paint your walls or do the floors then you book a video call. So mm -hmm. this is something that from consumer end, it's good to, to do video call instead of having people coming to your home. But especially for the professional where they save a lot of time instead of having to travel around and do mm -hmm. a lot of home visits. So you book a video call and then in real time you show what you need help with. And after the video call, you receive the quotation directly in the mm -hmm. app and you book the time for when the job should start. And throughout the whole process, you have done in your back and done as vetted 
all the professionals that mm. are taking into the platform. So it's more of an application process for the suppliers to, to get on board rather than bringing everyone on board. Okay, that's great. And, and so is it, because I haven't used the app myself, so is it that if somebody comes over to your place afterwards or do they guide you how to fix it yourself? No, no, they come to your place afterwards, so okay. you don't have to paint yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> so after you, after you receive the quotation, then you yeah. accept it in the app and plan when professionals should come to your home yeah. to do the work. Yeah. And do you find that this is, I mean, what was the sort of feedback have you got from both the customers and also from, your, from the professionals? Yeah, from the customers, I mean, they, they are not really used to getting quick response and again if you look at that all the complaints that comes into the consumer agency a lot of times it's connected to communication a lack of communication rather than a lack of fault in in the work that they do Mm. so that's something that a lot of our consumers are really surprised by that first of all that the professional shows up in time for the video call and we have policies towards the suppliers they should for example send the quotation within 24 hours so showing up in time for the video call then receiving your quotation really quickly the communication goes smoothly so i think that's the easy and easy smooth way that consumers are not used to connecting to the home improvement industries where we get most feedback from from the consumer side and then of course also that it's feel safe that we have vetted all the suppliers that we take on board is also something that the consumers like and on supplier side, I would say it's even more parts, more USPs in the app that stands out strong from supplier side. And that's first of all, the video call. I mean, from, from the consumer side, it's nice to replace home visits with a video call one time. But for the supplier, it really changed. They can optimize their work. So, mm. for example, one of our painting firms said the other day that they could take seven, eight calls during one day and send quotations via the app, which means that they convert better than I would do when they would use their word template on the computer and then give that to seven eight customers instead of driving around in the city and, and take two home visits from a day mm. so it's really use piece that stands out both from consumer and suppliers yeah fantastic and you've touched a little bit on your your business model but can you just go go into that in a bit more details sure yeah I think that's a good question because that's something that enables us to to build up supply the business model that we have picked and our business model is that we take a commission from each approved quotation mm-hmm. so every time the professionals get an approved quotation we get paid mm-hmm. which means that we are trying to align our incentives with the professionals so trying to create a good customer journey where we only get charged when or only get paid when supplier gets paid so that stands out a bit from, from the rest of the platforms within this industry that we see in Europe where all of them basically are lead gen platforms mm. where the company or the marketplace gets paid before the work has been done or the quotation mm. is sent. So they basically sell, sell leads, which means that they have no incentives to care mm. about the rest of the customer journey, which we believe that in this complex industry that has so many complaints about that, you need to care about the rest of the process as well mm-hmm. yeah exactly i mean it, it sounds like it's a game changer i mean the only times that i've used common improvement services then it has been through those portals and then you kind of get like blasted with many different offers 
but exactly you know quality assurance there so i can really see how this can be very attractive Mm, um, exactly and also to add on to to the platforms where they sell leads one really big issue for for the service providers when they don't pre-vet all the professionals is that there's a lot of unserious actors that are more in the black market don't pay taxes to employees that can push down the price so usually it's a bit of a bidding war which means the serious actors can't win over any the customers because unserious actors are bidding them down mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense so you've worked a lot previously with startups and you've helped with both sort of starting them and scaling them internationally what learnings did you take from that when you were building down yeah a lot of learnings Let's see if i can pick a few i think at the early stage like we are now i think my biggest learning is to find ways to to keep focus and to to dare to stay in your niche because there will be so many opportunities especially in the marketplace mm. to take on new type of verticals or geographically to expand so so dare to keep your niche there and really like nail it in in one area like nail it before you scale it mm. and also in the work that you do on a daily basis really try to keep your focus there also because it's so many things as an early stage startup that you can do you want to you know build a perfect brand you want to do pr and so many features and things you want to do in the app and really try to to put goals which we didn't do even though i knew it was super important good enough in the beginning of done so now we started working more with okrs and try to really follow up on that and be super strict on what we choose to do and not because mm-hmm. limited resources is the, is the biggest challenge as an early stage startup. So yeah, keep your, keep your focus, find ways to both keep your focus in, in the verticals you have and in your offer and slim it down as much as possible so you can be really good at that before you're growing it. And also in your everyday work, try to cut off things that is not super necessarily to do. Mm-hmm. And how, how was it with introducing the OKRs to the team? Yeah, I think that was longed for for the team to have more goals. And I think the first, so OKRs usually set it three months at a time. Mm-hmm. The first time around we did it, I, I think we didn't follow up enough on it. So that was the lesson learned from the first time we need to follow up on, not daily basis, but at least like on your Monday meeting or Friday demo meeting to, to follow up on and work back on that. But now I think it works really well because the team, even though we're not that big, we are eight people now, can see what the company goal are and try to connect everything that we do towards the company goal. Plus that it also creates a great transparency when everyone knows what the other person is working on. And we try mm-hmm. to challenge each other when we see that someone is working on something that is not connected to the company goals mm. with that said of course you need to be very flexible as well for example in this situation as we are in now with COVID-19 you you need to be flexible from the goals you have set once needed but, but in general super good I recommend OKRs for the ones that haven't tried that. So Malin you've worked with a lot with startups and I know that you've been working at an executive level for companies that have gone through this great growth. What learnings can you take from sort of being an executive and maybe not being in the driving seat to actually being the CEO and the founder? Like when you've kind of worked with those startups to now being the actual 
sort of driver, main driver, what, what's your sort of biggest learnings? Hmm. Good question. I think first thing that comes to my mind is first what I mentioned about keeping a focus. I, some of you I haven't realized, I knew that there was a lot of things that was on your plate as a founder, but I think this made me even more humble to, to the founders that I worked with before. There's so many things to, to keep control of and to keep your focus and to set your goals. And that's something that I think I have a whole other respect for now than before. Mm-hmm. But also something that I kind of took for granted before was to have a good culture and to think through how to build your, your culture. And looking back on the past companies I've been working at, some of them have had really strong culture and others not as strong. And the difference that that makes of having a strong culture and that's something I realized that we have to start thinking about now already to hire the right people that you believe can can build the culture in the right way and yeah I think that's super crucial and in a good culture I think it also connects to having transparency uh, mm. which is something I really appreciated in in my previous companies I've been part of and that's something that takes a lot of effort to to keep transparent communication but that's something I really want to have in my company that I try to incorporate to to the everyday work to to be transparent about what happens and what people work at and the plan ahead and everything like that so you avoid to you know start spreading negative rumors or yeah things like that Mm, that's good it's also a bit difficult sometimes having a transparent culture too which is I guess why a lot of companies struggle with that, like how much information is enough information or too much information. It can be a bit of, you know, a bit of say, a fine balance, I think. Definitely. And I think you have to kind of pick the way you want to go about it. Should you have a transparent culture or, or should you not? And once you go for a transparent side, then yeah, you need to keep that consistency so you build a trust in your organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And so you said earlier that you have eight people now at Dan. How's the journey been finding those people? Yeah, luckily, Alec that I founded Dan with, he has both experience of recruiting developers, which isn't the easiest thing to do otherwise, as we know. Mm. And it's also been running Stockholm's biggest iOS community mm-hmm. and started the first international app conference in Sweden. So that was really good that he had that community of developers. Otherwise, that can be a tough one. From more the marketing operational side, I think what, what I learned and had to remind myself about is to not fall into when you recruit people that are similar as, as yourself. Something I learned in the past, but kind of had to remind myself about like, okay, what, what do we need? I, I don't want to recruit copies of myself for people that are similar to myself but trying to look rather at the type of personality I want to bring into my company and that I learned work really good at the early stage startup and here I like to to think about the personality that works good in a startup rather than a person that fits in perfectly in the role I'm hiring for so things like yeah people that like change super Mm. important because the role you hire for will most probably change. So someone that is flexible and are, you can see gets like triggered of growth and being part of a journey ahead and the adventure that running a startup is, that's much, much more important than finding that perfect fit and mm. skills for a specific role, I think. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so from the eight people that you've got, you've got you and Alec, and then what other sort of functions do you have in your, in your team? Yeah, so then we have two in marketing and customer support, customer success, mm-hmm. and the rest is in the product team. So we have two full-time hires, and then the rest are on a consultant base, freelancer base, or interns. Okay, okay. Well, that's, that's great. And tell us a little bit about your, your vision for Dan. I mean, you've spoken a little bit about the importance of focus, but if we look like plus five years, Marlene, where, where do you see yourself? Right, so plus five years. We, within the coming, I was like two years, we will expand outside Sweden. So five years, we want to be across Europe. I don't believe that we will be a company that you can find throughout the whole nation rather in the big cities so we'll expand more of a city by city model Mm. and what we also want to do long term i don't know if five years is enough but long term we want to expand out of home improvement services as well and think more of of services that are complex as a consumer to buy Mm. and making that easy for consumers to and safe to to buy those services so that could be, for example, expanding into to law services or similar like that. Mm-hmm. I guess because you have the underlying technology there, then it would be relatively, I'm just assuming, <laughs> that it would be relatively easy to expand onto other verticals as well. Exactly. But then again, it's the balance of not doing that too quickly because mm-hmm. that's also a great learning that like keep the focus on both expanding verticals but also geographically that you should not do that too too quickly. Mm-hmm. And so how are you how are you currently funded? So we raised a seed round end of last year mm-hmm. uh, of 360,000 euros. Mm-hmm. Um, we took in both visas and angels and compared got offer from both of them compared which way to go and realized that taking angels were right way to do it this early stage. So have a group of really good angel investors, so I would say that are where a lot of them are from the industry. So they have direct experience from the home improvement industry, which was really good for us to to bring in some of that knowledge to the team. Mm-hmm. And that was really good. And for you, what does growth mean, and how are you guys going about achieving it? Right. So growth. First thing that would come to mind a lot of people, I guess, would be. You know, growing in revenue, growing as a marketplace in supply and demand, those things are of course important to us. And right now, for example, during Corona, we put us our goal to grow week by week. So it doesn't matter if we haven't set a goal how much, but every week we should beat the number of bookings from consumers from the mm-hmm. week before. But what I believe is even more important at this stage and probably a year ahead is to constantly test and learn and test your hypothesis that you have and learn from that and iterate the product and the offering that you have to to the customers and to the suppliers. So I think that's the best way to measure growth right now, that we're constantly learning and constantly are mm-hmm. evolving the product long term in a year or two. I think looking at things like gross merchandise volume mm-hmm. at their platform and of course customer satisfaction will become even more mm. crucial but but right now I just want to see that we yeah, evolve all the time and the learning and are getting a lot of insights from our users that we can take action on. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good and this kind of brings me to my to my last question and 
it's really about done. So as most gig apps, it's built on the marketplace model. And, and you also have a lot of experience from working with marketplaces as well. Do you have any advice for people starting or scaling marketplaces? Right. For marketplaces, the biggest challenge, I would say, that you should talk about connected to marketplaces are the chicken and egg situation that you mm-hmm. find in marketplaces. Should you start with supply or should you start with demand? And, you know, you need supply to get demand and vice versa. And here, I think there's a lot of ways to go about it for, for us. And what I believe in is to start with the side that is most crucial and most difficult for you to start with. So for us, it was building up supply. So, and especially since our suppliers only pay when they get accepted quotations, we could build up a big database of suppliers before we started mm. promoting ourselves to consumers. So I think it's difficult to, to try to balance and do both at the same pace at the same time. So in the beginning to, to pick the side that you want to grow in the beginning and then add on the other side. And there's a lot of different strategies on how to do this, everything from you know, subsidizing the, the supplier side like Uber did with paying their drivers to join the platform or ClassPass who paid the gym to, to join the platform or like Airbnb and Craigslist to convince existing suppliers to, to join the platform or they actually build a product only for one side of the market like Eventbrite did and then open up the marketplace. So a lot of different strategies. I think it's important to not just like let's start a marketplace, we build supply demand at the same time, but really think through, again, focus. What should you focus at? How, what is like your magic way to, to build up one side of the marketplace and then the mm. other side will be much easier to, to bring on board. Mm. That's really good. I mean, I would love to, if we had more time, I would love to pick your brain more on that, which I hope I have a chance to do at a later opportunity. Sure. Thank you so much for your time, Malin. I know how precious it is. I really feel like I've learned a lot about Dan and got to understand more about your journey. And I just really wish you the best of luck with everything. Thanks a lot. Make sure to subscribe and to find out more, go to gigapay.co forward slash gigapod.